Hello and welcome to the Autism in Real Life podcast. In each episode, you'll get practical strategies by taking a journey into the joys and challenges of life with autism. I'm your host, Ilya Walsh, and I'm an educator and a parent of two young adults, one of which is diagnosed on the autism spectrum. Join me as I share my experience and the experiences of others so that we may see the unique gifts and talents of individuals on the autism spectrum fully recognized. Hey, I'm really excited about this episode. I got the chance to interview Dan Jones from the Aspie World, and we had a great chat. We discussed him finding out about his diagnosis, the state of education, and employment, and he even shared one of his favorite life hacks. We had such a good time, we actually ran out of time, and so we are scheduled to meet again. So I can't wait to have another chat with him, but for now, enjoy. Welcome, Dan. I'm so happy to have you here today. Hey, I'm happy to be here, actually. It's really exciting. I love doing podcasts. I run my own podcast. It's just, yeah, it's dope. I love it. Yeah, no, and I've not necessarily done it in this type of format before. I've done online trainings and, you know, collaborative types of meetings. And so um, this is really fun for me. And I've been following you for a little while and I really love your message. So um, one of the things I like to do in my um, conversations for, you know, the audience that I work with, I have a lot of educators and parents. And um, one of the things that I think a lot of people want to know is, you know, what does the future look like, right? Like, what does this look like for my kid, for my students, and what can I do to help? So I think one of the places that I really like to start, and and I've watched some of your um, videos on this, is what, you know, when when did you start kind of like thinking like, hey, something's a little bit different or I might, you know, I, I realize I'm a little different than the other kids around me or people around me. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. I mean, like, so it was never like a an aha moment, um, but it what it, what it has been is been an ongoing uh, issue my entire life, obviously. When I say issue, I mean like, you know, the the issue of, of in like the issues I'm having personally. So my parents, when I was about three, three, four years old, my parents realized that like there was issues with, um, you know, me as a, as a kid, the way I wasn't going outside and playing with the other kids. And I was like lining my toys up and I, you know, didn't really interact. I was excessively shy, you know, all the usual bits and pieces. And so they took me to see all kinds of doctors and stuff. Um, and so the doctors back then, I mean, you're going back to like 90, Oh, goodness me. Or maybe the late 80s, because I was born in 1986. So you're going back to like, you know, 1990, maybe 1989, when my parents started going to doctors. And there was nothing here in Wales, in the United Kingdom, right in rural Anglesey, where I live, you know, there was, there was nothing. So the doctors were kind of scratching their heads. They'd never seen anything like that. And they were like, oh, well, maybe he has like an attachment issue, or maybe he has a extreme agoraphobia, or he's, he's very, very shy, or he has... They, they didn't really know. They thought I had these like huge phobias of stuff. Um, I suppose they're not too far off. I, mean, I did have phobias, but, um, and so that, that was kind of it, you know, but then what happened was my parents just said, 
oh, well, that's Dan. You know, we, we, that's just who he is. It's, he's just just an odd guy. He doesn't eat anything right. but the same thing every single day. And, <laughs> you know, he's not the happiest of kids and he doesn't really explain, <laughs> explain himself emotionally well. And it was really funny because, like, they just they not, didn't think I was miserable. They just didn't understand, you know, what was up. Anyway, uh, they got me a bucket of Lego and I was absolutely fine. Um, but in terms of... Um, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, in, ter- in terms of, of how it was uh, when I got diagnosed... Um, there's all my life I felt like okay if it kind of feels like um the only way I can explain it is imagine going to uh you're a full-grown adult and you start your first day of work and you go to work and all your colleagues are uh like seven-year-old kids and they're they're all you you can talk to them Mm. you can you can communicate with them but they all have they're on a different level you know they get each other and they're running around screaming and like you know throwing kind of like slime at each other and you're like okay I I get everything that's going on, but none of this makes sense. And you're over here trying to have an adult conversation and there's nobody to have a conversation with you. That's what it feels like. It feels like I'm all by myself in a crowded room every single day. So it's kind of, it's difficult. The only time I I feel where I'm not like that is when I'm, I did my degree in chemistry, right? And when I was doing that and I was talking to the the doctors who who were lecturing me, I was able to have good qualitative conversations about like um you know molecular symmetry and group theory which is something i love um and and you know so those kind of conversations were like oh okay i get it you know it's like a breath of fresh air but typically i've always felt like something's different here and that's what kind of like led uh, eventually to to the official diagnosis yeah i mean and i know um in one of your videos that i saw recently you talked about um, you know, you talked about we as as a collective going to find a diagnosis and asking people, you know, to take the same quiz that you took. And um, I find it I find it awesome, in fact, that you say the word we, which to me feels like you had a tremendous amount of support with, you know, it sounds like family and a partner. Um, can you tell me a little bit about that support network that you had? Yeah, sure. So it actually was... Um with with my girlfriend uh, and her mum really uh, my parents kind of like <laughs> all, all credit to them but they they kind of just gave up you know because not not in a nasty way they just felt like well that's just Dan you know he's quirky so my girlfriend um was uh, so she has a first degree honors um degree in childhood studies and, and development specifically in autism so um she kind of is a bit of a specialist on the matter wow. And so she kind of picked up all this stuff and was like, hey, what the heck? You know, she noticed them in me. And then um, her mum, who's a mental health nurse, was like, asked me if I was on the spectrum at the time. I, I didn't know, you know, and I was like, oh, I have no idea. And I had nothing. My 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 idea of autism at the time was Rain Man. You know, how, how ridiculous was that? You know, because I, I knew nothing <laughs> yeah. about the subject. And so, um, yeah, so they were the people who were like, oh, wow, maybe you should check this out. And And the other person came in a form of a friend of mine called Heather, and Heather had a son. She still has a son, but I mean, Heather at the time, her son Rory um, was um, he, he's he's got Asperger's syndrome diagnosis, and so she was she was like doing a course the same time I was, and on the same course as me. And she was like, "Whoa, you know, this is crazy. You're very much like my son," and blah blah blah. And so those people kind of were very reassuring and calming, and um, and it was nice to have support from people saying like, "Oh, well." you know there's nothing wrong with it because i kept i had like so much self negativity i was like oh, i'm so stupid or i can't believe i'm like this like what is wrong with me you know and, and then so they were really nice like oh nothing wrong you know it's just a bit of, the brain works differently but after the diagnosis right. i was given a asd support worker 
uh, from the government. Uh, and he was like a key worker. I used to see uh, twice a week, or as many times I wanted in a week, but typically twice a week. And he'd help me with everything. You know, he'd come around to my house and help me with anything I needed, like, you know, I don't know, societally, government, council-wise, anything. Um, but the, uh, the the problem was that then the government cut his funding and I, you know, that just stopped abruptly. But sure. yeah, but that, that was the support network. So it's interesting that you talk about that um, that support person, an ASD caseworker, I guess. Um, we don't have that in the states where I am. Um, we have the state that I'm in, Massachusetts, has a tremendous amount of support for, um, you know, those on spectrum, which um, more so than most other states, uh, but nothing like that. And that's that's a model that you know, in different organizations I've been working with, like this mentoring, coaching type of model, which um, I think would be an amazing program to have if we could do something like that. Um, what was it that that, you know, that person would help you with in general? Um, so, yeah, but, but just, yeah, just to, yeah, to agree with what you just said, it, it is a fantastic um, system. Our healthcare system here in the UK is phenomenal. Our social security here is phenomenal like it is absolutely amazing and it's definitely like oh i love it anyway um so, so the, <laughs> no that's great i wish we could do that stuff like that here you yeah, know well you know you never know you know the future holds many great never uh, know. Uh, you know optimistic chances um so in terms of david oliver which is the gentleman's name um he he would do like anything like he so he was he was involved with everybody so he'd come over sometimes and be like hey look there's this meeting going on for an asperger's social group do you want to attend it um and we're also doing uh if you pay like two pounds uh, for the next three weeks in into the kitty we're actually going on a, on a small trip we're going to take everyone in the club we're going to go and do like a i don't know a boat trip around like the mersey in, in liverpool and we're like okay cool and then sometimes he'd be like hey there's a lecture happen- happening here by this expert you should totally check it out i'm like okay and then other times he he would I'd be like, hey David, look, I need access to a benefit from the government, and I don't know where I'm applying for. Can you help me? I can't fill out this form. And he said, yeah, I'll come over and do it. And then he'd he'd basically check up and make sure I'm doing okay. And he'd hook me up with the right people. So he'd be like, hey, look, I found this therapist who's really good, and so I can hook you up with this therapist. Or, hey, this person works with a charity, and they are looking for autistic people to help support them, you know, with therapy or whatever. And and so he it literally would do just everything and anything that like my partner wanted to do, but she couldn't do because she didn't have access to the information, if that makes sense. Right, right, right. No, that definitely makes sense. And, um, you know, I think that, you know, I think the fact that you were open to receiving that type of support is huge because I do know I've worked with other adults before young adults, like sort of that 18 to 25 age group that um, feel that if they need that kind of support, because we have that here, but it's private pay, right? So it's not, it's not covered by like insurance or something, but um, you know, so they're still resistant to that, right? Because it's like, I shouldn't, I shouldn't need support. I shouldn't have to have that access. And to your point you were saying before is, you know, I think one of the things we notice with particularly Asperger's diagnosis is this disparity with intellectually, right? Super high, but then things that should be simple, I'll put that in quotes, simple, can be challenging. And so to get that kind of support would be really helpful. Um, you know, what would you, 
you know, what would you say to another young adult who's like finding themselves in that position of, well, this, there is this support or is this help? A lot of colleges have like, you know, services, but a lot of uh, our adults don't want to access that because it feels stigmatizing, you know? Well, you know, it's funny because, um, I always, it should never feel like that. I know it does because you feel like, oh, you know, like for instance, when I was in school and stuff, they put me in special ed class to do maths rather than figure out my specific mm. learning type. You know, I was far more capable than doing maths because I have a degree in chemistry for goodness sake, when that is just math. And so <laughs> right. there was nothing wrong with my mathematics, which is the way the learning type wasn't, uh, you know, accustomed to myself. So, and then I felt like, oh, you know, going to a special ed class and there was kids who were way you know, way more disabled, uh, you know, and I'm thinking, okay, they need this support. And am I taking up their space for another, you know what I mean? And it was kind of like, it is, it is an odd feeling, but if, at the end of the day, when I started university, I was had access to the disabled student um, advisory board and, and they helped me out with everything. They bought me a laptop computer and they, they gave me a mentor, they gave me an in-class note taker. And I loved it. I loved, I was like, wow, without mm-hmm. it, I would never have been able to complete my studies. So I got to think about it like this, like anything else I do, I say, okay, there's a problem. How do I solve the problem? Regardless of what anybody thinks or how it looks, it's what's best for me. And I'm going to do that because at the end of the day, you have to look after yourself because otherwise what's the, what's the point in anything if you're not looking after yourself, you know, goodness me. Right. I mean, that's awesome. I really think that's a great message. Um, And I think sometimes we have to get over, I mean, I know I do the same thing, right? I I need to just get over myself and my putting myself in the way and just say, you know what, I have to do what works for me and what's best for me. Um, And and like you said, ultimately, if you take care of yourself, right, then you can be of service to other people and be able to um, get that goal accomplished. And um, I know yeah, yeah no, ahead. definitely. Like, you know, and another thing, if people say, oh, yeah, well, it's easy to say, but you don't want to be judged by other people, right? But let me speak this way, okay? This is what other people do, okay? This is the mindset of other people. This is why you should forget anything that other people think about you. There are people out there who go to McDonald's, have the, the, the supersized meal with a Diet Coke, okay? So that's that's other people. There are people out there, this is the best one, this is the best one, and this will, this will change your entire perspective of other people. We live in a society where people will work a job they don't even like to get a loan that they can't afford, to buy a car they can't really afford, to impress somebody they don't even like. So it's not even, you know, it, it, <laughs> don't worry about their opinion because they've got the worst track record in self-judgment ever. So who are they to judge you? So just do you, man. You know what I mean? That's brilliant. Yeah, no, that's brilliant. And I think, you know, so um, the other space that I work with is in education, right? So I've been a special educator. I've worked with kids on Spectrum since, um, I don't know, probably the last 12 years. So uh, I'm, I'm, I've, I know that this same feeling, right, pushes all the way down to that six-year-old, that seven-year-old that's in, you know, just beginning school. And you know, I, I, I've, I heard you talk a little bit about if someone, someone had asked you if you were to change your education, what would it include? Um, and, and I really loved your answer. So can you expand a little bit about what your philosophy is? And I know that was a while ago. So, so I'm curious where you're at now. Like, what would be different um, in the education system? Even though I know we're in two different countries and our education systems are different, but right? We're, we're all human and we're all people. So what would that look like for you? Well, I mean, for a start, I probably would have said the same thing I'll say now, but to me, mm-hmm. education should be um, emphasis on the things that the person can do really well. 
And that is typically, that's all it is. You know, why bother, go, you know, like, put it this way, like I was, I was terrible at sports in school, terrible at sports. And I understand that physical education, physical exercise is great. Okay. And there's nothing wrong with taking a walk every single day for half an hour. That's enough exercise that you need to keep your body nice, you know, and, and healthy. But in school, they, they, they'd make you do PE, right? And then I'd be like, I go to PE. I'd never get picked for anything. It'd be a horrible experience. And I never liked it. I used to walk out all the time and get in trouble because I was just like, no, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> but but they focused on it. They pushed on it. Like it was something I had to do. And I was like, well, why don't I do more electronics rather than PE? So if I was to change the way the curriculum currently stands, it's like assess every kid in the first year, give everybody the same lessons. And after that first year, whatever they excel at, give them that as a personal learning plan because they're going to get the most out of that. They can always change if they want to change their mind, but you have to. Like if, if somebody's really good, really good at maths and science, but they're wasting four hours a week in PE and they're terrible at it. Where's the logic in that? Yeah. You know what I mean? So, yeah. And that's what I, I, totally I would, that, that's what I would change. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and, and, you know, when I was studying for being a teacher, one of the areas that I was so excited about was this um, child-centered education, right? So, so it actually is like a theory and a philosophy where we really look at what children excel at, what are their interests and their joys, right? And let's, let's just expand on that. It seems so logical. <laughs> it really does. No, it is. Um, it's always forgotten. Oh, about. You know, oh. and it's because the education yeah, is set think- up around factory development, you know, so we were all, the education, exactly. it hasn't changed for like over, over a hundred years. I know. Like, well, I how know. is that relevant? We've got and, people and, living in space on a space station, you know, and, and, and we don't use hawks <laughs> and cats anymore. And there's no such thing as a workhouse. And isn't bad Kingdom Renell died like 100 years ago, yet we're still using the same principles of the curriculum set up by then. I mean, I'm sorry, but what on right. earth is going on? Right. And we're also, I think, a lot of, to your point before, our education system is setting up our young people to do exactly what you said, work in a job that they don't like, right? To get the loan that they can't afford to buy the things that they don't actually need. Um, yeah, to impress so, people they don't even like. It's like, what the hell's that about? Right. Right. So we're creating this cycle um, that is really interesting. And it's something that I do you know, push educators on when they talk about studying for the test and meeting these specific, like, you know, but we need to meet all these checkoff boxes. Yeah, of course. So, there, there, yeah, yeah. Those, those targets you have to hit. And it's funny because all you're creating is consumers and it's perpetual consumption. <laughs> and I know it's a bit fight club of me to say that, but like it is, you know, you're, you're a product of consumption. And like, it's, it's so weird. I remember there was a, there's a very famous Zen Buddhist I love listening to called Alan Watts. And uh, he used to be a guidance counselor in Cambridge University here in the UK. And you have these, you know, postgrads or just coming to the end of their undergrad um, positions coming in and they'd be like, oh, you know, I don't know what I want to do in my life. I want to get a job to pay off my student loans. And I know that like, you know, I'm studying business right now. So I think maybe, you know, a job in business would be really cool. And then he goes, whoa, 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 slow down what do you like doing? And then you'd be like, Oh, I like horse riding. And he goes, okay, well, how would you want to spend your days? And, he, and this girl would be like, well, I want to spend my days teaching people how to horse ride. He said, okay, go out, forget about money, do the horse riding, do it for free because you'll have to at first do it for free, do it for free, do it again and again and again and again. And when you're really good at something, when you're awesome at doing something, you become a master at it. And when you're a master at something, somebody will pay you to do it. And so we mm-hmm. spend too much of our life focused on what's going to give us the best money in life rather than what's going to give us the most happiness in life. And I think if we focus on what's going to, what education is going to give us the most happiness, it would change the way we think forever. Right. And we'd have a lot 
uh, a happier society in general, society, which I think oh. would be right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, imagine that. I know some dude like you know, you know, I don't know, white collar dude working an office job, you know, filing numbers, who could be the guy who creates the cure for cancer. It's like, well, why? You know, like it's just so weird. You know, like think about all the amazing athletes that are just tied down to working at McDonald's because they never really had this philosophy in their heads because they just wanted a job to right. take security. And you know, and I'll tell anybody listening now, um, Jim. Do you know the story of Jim Carrey um, and his dad growing up? Do you know? Have you heard this story? I don't think so, no. So Jim Carrey, obviously a famous comedian. So his dad was also a comedian. You know, he did the pubs and clubs circuit. And it was kind of taken off, you know. It was kind of good. He was he, he was working hard. But he also, it was like a side hustle because he was also working an office job. Now, the office job offered him a promotion. Um, but also, he had the opportunity to do like a circuit tour with his com- comedy. But he would have had to work a lot harder to make comedy meet, make, make ends meet. And he had uh, um, uh, the... He, he obviously had a little boy at the time. Jim Carrey was a little boy. So his wife said to him, hey, you know, what are you going to do? Which option are you going to take? He said, look, I could take the risky option and go and do the cabaret circuit and be a comedian and try my best at that. And but there's no security, you know, there's no security for you or, or the little boy. And uh, he said, but I could take the secure option and then just take this job promotion because it's a job like any other job. And, you know, white collar, blue collar, whatever. I take the job and then it's secure. We got a secure income and everything. And he goes, I don't know, what, I'm going to be the wise person I'm going <laughs> to, excuse me, I'm going to be the wise person and uh, and I'm going to take the position in the job and not do the cavalry circuit because it's un- uncertain, right? Six months after taking that job position, the company closed down, he lost his job. This shows you that he lost an opportunity to do something he loved doing because he, he was scared that there wouldn't be security in it. But the actual knowledge and the fact here is that there is no security in anything. So why don't you just live life to what you want rather than what you think would be the logical uh, exception and, and that's a really good story and Jim Carrey will, will, there's a video about it he does explain it a lot more in detail but yeah it, it's a great story cool yeah no that that totally makes sense to me I've been I've been part of that process um, started in corporate as well and so I, I know I've I learned that philosophy early on that it seems like that what would be the more structured route would be secure but it's not and so I, I decided to go for what I love and yeah my my life's been a little eclectic but I actually like it like that and that's great <laughs> yeah I know I, I get it I, I did I wrote a book on philosophy I have a best-selling book out as well obviously I don't know if you can tell by the stuff I'm talking about, but um, but yeah, like I and and I just love that because I I feel like we're, we're so we're so like programmed to think a certain way, and and I just feel blessed that my mind works in the way it does that I'm able to crack out of that kind of box. If you if you know what I mean. Yeah, no, I, I actually call it erasing the box. That's my um, philosophy around it, and I right. I think a lot of folks on spectrum feel like they need to fit into, right, what our societal structures are and what people's expectations are. And and I encourage people to do exactly what you're talking about is find what you love, find your passion, work with that. Um, it's not easy, right? It's easy to say it and it's hard to follow through sometimes with it because you're, you're pushing against things, you know? Of course, but anything in life that's worth, worth having should be hard work. You, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. why wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, 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 right. Right, exactly. Um, and so would you say, you know, in your uh, your thinking about, you're saying you think a little bit differently and you like the philosophy. Do you say that, because I've spoken to, like I said, a lot of those, my son too is also, we would have a great chat if the three of us were together. Um, <laughs> you know, like this, this, do you think that's part of, um, 
an autism diagnosis, like being able to think a little bit differently, um, having this abstract. It's not abstract to me, but like I think to other people, it's like, you know, what do you think about that? I don't know. I think I'm kind of torn on, on the idea because I remember seeing a lecture by uh, Tony Atwood once and he said that yeah. um, autistic people have difficulty in abstract thought, right? And then I was like, <laughs> what are you talking about, man? Like, it's the one thing we really don't have difficulty in. But it was because of what he means is that he's, you know, my girlfriend comes in and she says to me, hey, Dan, guess what? And I said, what? She goes, well, I was driving down this road today and I went left and I went this way and I went that way and there was a shop here on the corner. There was a guy in a blue shirt and then I went past him and there was this bagel on the floor, right? And this bagel had this thing. I'm like, I, you lost me after I went down this street because I, there's no way I can I can imagine what on earth she's talking about. I, I can't do that. But if I if right. she was to say, "Hey Dan, there's this um, I've got a problem. I need to um, I need to fix this this component in, in our living room. We need to fix this. Uh, oh, like stacking things in a, in, a, in a shelf. We have a certain amount of items, certain different shapes. We have to put them into the shelf, and they all have to fit. I'm like, okay, it's like Tetris, but like big boy league. And I'm like, <laughs> I, can, I can do it in like ten seconds. You know, and, and so it's it's kind of crazy how like abstract thought, it depends how you think about it. But I think yeah. that like for, for an autism diagnosis, I'm, I'm sure it's it's not even, it's not part of the criteria to be diagnosed right. because it's not on the triad of impairment. But in terms mm-hmm. of um, common characteristics of personality types, uh, like an I am, I'm the, um, uh, I'm an INTJ uh, personality type, mm-hmm. which is an architect, mm-hmm. uh, same as Nelson yeah. Mandela, I think. And so uh, I think, you know there are certain categories of those personality types that people on the spectrum do fit into so i think i suppose it could be classed or categorized as a um uh you know i wouldn't say a a diagnostic criteria but but close to like a feature yeah like a like yeah no that makes sense i'm just curious because it it, i find it um it's very common and i say well wow this is so much clarity and so much insight and um you know why why aren't other people seeing this like why aren't other people thinking like this It, it uh and it baffles me sometimes but um so I yeah I really love your your ideas here and um, I do know we're coming up on time so I want to be respectful of your time thank here. You, thank you. Um, and so if you were to give uh, I know you give like a lot of like a lot of different uh, life hacks what would be something that um, if you were going to say one person given the context of education or employment um, what would be like one thing you would say hey this is a little hack that I have for that. Oh, what would be the best one? So if it, so for, for education or employment, um, I would say, oh, what's the best one to do? I would say probably um, for education and employment, um, uh, dictation, uh, sorry, audio to dictation software on smartphones, mm. right? This is a hack. What I did is I, yeah. I'm in meetings in work or if I, when, I, when I used to work for a different company, I'd have my iPhone out and I'd have it record the audio, but the audio would dictate and create a word document out of it. And so when I was in university and I went to lectures, I just whapped that out and I'd have them <laughs> it would record their audio and make a note document out of it. So if someone who's been dyslexic, ADHD and autism, I had no hope in heck of learning anything within the lecture. So I had to record as much data as possible and go home and relearn it. Now that just having recording every conversation that you is important to you to then re-look and re-listen is going to be way better than worrying about it six or seven hours later. 
Right. No, that's a that's a great one. And I know here um, just a few years ago, even when my son was in high school, they were really resistant to technology. You know, like a student bringing an iPod at the time. It was an iPod, um, wow. you know, or a smartphone into the classroom yeah. to record. And I'm like, look, do you want do you want him to remember things yeah. or yeah. not? Like this is a really easy tool and you don't even have to do any work. Just like let him bring it in, you know? Yeah. Um, no, I really love that. And this is something carries through to adulthood, right? Like you can use it yeah, I use the whole every, time. I use it all the time. Like all the time. Yeah. Like I still use it right now, even when making my videos. Um, so when I make the descriptions for my YouTube videos and my blog posts, I don't type them out. I talk to my phone, my phone types out because it's right. so much easier because dyslexia is just like my, my mind goes faster than I can even possibly type. So no way am I able to do that. Yeah. And it's just easier. I find sometimes, you know, if I'm typing, I do the same thing because it, it just, it can get hung up on the autocorrect and all the other things too that happen. I'm wow. like, no, I can just speak to it and then I can go back and look at it. Definitely. Definitely. And I, yeah, it, it is a great hack. And I use, I use it every single day. Excellent. So thank you for that. So if you want to just give a little bit about where people can find out more information, I mean, I know we've only talked for a short time and you have so much great information that I think would be beneficial. Um, where can people find you? So you can get all of my social links and everything at theaspieworld.com. So A-S-P-I-E, T-H, sorry, T-H-E-A-S-P-I-E-W-O-R-L-D.com, which is theaspieworld.com. But if you just go into any social media network and type in The Aspie World, you will see hundreds of videos by me on every platform. And I mean every single platform. If it's LinkedIn, Twitter, whatever, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, <laughs> everywhere, TikTok, hit me. <laughs> Excellent. Yes, he is everywhere. So um, I look forward to hopefully being able to chat again in the future. And yeah, um, you have a lovely day. Thank you. You too. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Autism in Real Life. This is Elia Walsh. And if you like the show, please hit subscribe so you can get notified each time a new episode is released. Also, if you join our email list at thespectrumstrategy.com, you can get a code to attend one of my online courses for free. See you next time.